Hey, Freedom Nation, it's Jeff here once again with another episode of the Freedom Nation podcast. And today is the second episode of two on tax-free and tax-advantaged investing. I hope you enjoyed the first one. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, make sure you go back and listen to it because they kind of build on each other. And stay tuned for the second episode of Tax-Free and Tax-Advantaged Investing. Welcome to the Freedom Nation Podcast with Jeff Kickle. On this show, Jeff shares his expertise in financial and retirement planning from a different perspective. Planning for your Freedom Day, which is the first day that you wake up and have enough income or assets and do not have to go to work that day. Learn how to calculate what you need, how to generate income sources, and listen to interviews from others who've done it themselves. Get ready to experience your own Freedom Day. Here's where we'll get into some of the more controversial topics that I'm going to talk about today. There'll be two controversial topics that if you hear a Dave Ramsey or you hear a Susie Orman, they're going to tell you this is the stupidest idea ever. It can't be done. It's a horrible investment choice. Well, it is if you have no other savings vehicles. If you are somebody who is saving, you know, you make a decent amount of income and you're not even maxing out your Roth IRAs at this point. You're not even saving $7,500 into your Roth IRAs. This is probably not the best vehicle for you. But if you are a good saver and you're looking at different ways of expanding out your savings and different ways of building wealth, a strategy that you can use is what's called a family bank. Now, there's other versions of this. There's the infinite banking. There is bank on yourself. There's a ton of different strategies, all basically doing the exact same thing. I call it a family bank because I kind of like the concept of saying that I own my own family bank. This is where you would use cash value life insurance as a savings vehicle and use it for the purposes of building wealth in your family. Now, let's talk a little bit about insurance before we get started. There are two types of life insurance. You have what's called term insurance, and you have cash value insurance. And there's a multitude of different ways on the cash value side. So term is pretty straightforward and simple. It is pure insurance. So let's say I am 30 years old today. I want to make sure that, you know, I, I haven't saved enough wealth at this point. So if I die, my family's up a creek, my kids don't go to college, my spouse is in financial trouble at that point because I have not amassed the amount of money that I needed for retirement or for college or whatever. Wonderful thing. There's a, a old term, buy term and invest the rest. It has been my experience uh, 30 years in the investment industry that in most cases, it is buy term and buy a TV at the same time. Now, people have a very difficult time saving and saving consistently over a 30-year period of time. So if you are somebody that is massively disciplined about savings, then buy term and invest the rest is probably the best vehicle. Most likely, you're going to be better off than somebody that does this route 
over the long run, but I'm just seeing way too much experiences of this. The other part is if I'm 30 years old today, typically the maximum term insurance policy I can buy is 30 years. So that means that my term insurance policy, which is locked in, I can lock it in for 30 years, but after 30 years, my term insurance policy, the term runs out and it becomes annually renewable. And all of a sudden, my life insurance that I might have been paying 20 or $30 a month for, for the last 30 years goes to $1,000 and then $1,500, then $2,000, then $3,000, then $5,000, then $10,000 over time as I get older because it's annually renewable after that point. So what's my solution? Well, I'm 60 years old. I've, my insurance has run out. I've only got annual renewable at this point. My only solution is, well, or my cost-effective solution is, well, I better go ahead and buy, you know, get another term policy for, let's say, another 15 years, long enough for me to finish out my, my wealth savings for retirement. Well, the challenge with that is I'm now 60, so it's going to cost me a lot more money to get a term policy at that point, and I might not qualify. I might have some kind of health issue. I might have had cancer or some kind of heart condition or got diabetes, and I might not be insurable at that point. So I'm kind of up a creek if I reach you know, the end of my term and I need longer with that. Many, many people, I can't tell you how many people come to me and have run out of their insurance at that point. So for those that think buy term and invest the rest, if you are massively disciplined and you save correctly and you do everything right and you don't go get stupid and make stupid investments in your investment portfolios, you might be okay. But for most of us mere mortals, we do some kind of stupid stuff during our investing career or we stop saving because, you know, kids are going to college or something like that. And we haven't amassed the wealth we need. And we get ourselves into a really tough situation when we're in our late 50s, early 60s, because we kind of followed the rules that everybody else made. And you you know, I, I don't tell you lies on here. I've just seen it way too many times. And I don't want people to get into that situation. So where does a family bank come into play? Well, a family bank is a, it, it's specially designed life insurance. It's either whole life or universal life or some version of one of the two of those. What all of cash value life is, is just simply this. The cost of insurance, let's say when you're 30, might be $10, $20 a month. When you hit like we talked about, you hit your 60s, that may all of a sudden be two, $300 a month, okay? So what happens with cash value life insurance is when you start, it's a level premium and it's a level premium for the rest of your life. So it might start at 150 or $200 a month. You're paying $20 a month for the life insurance component. The rest of that money is in a savings component called cash value that in the case of whole life is earning a guaranteed rate of return. And if you're with the right kind of company, what's called a mutual insurer, you are also earning dividends. So as the insurance company makes profits, they pay dividends to the, 
the shareholder or the, the owners of policies. Because as a whole life insurance owner of a mutual insurer, which is effectively a nonprofit, it is the mutual insurer is owned by its policyholders. So as the insurance company makes profits, they pay those profits off in the form of dividends to their policyholders. So now that cash value is in there. I'm only using, let's say out of my $150, I'm only using 20. So $130 is in that cash value account, which is now earning interest and it's earning dividends on top of that. And that keeps compounding over time. Now, every year might, you know, the next year it might be $21 or $20.50 for the cost of insurance. I'm still putting in that $150 and I'm building that wealth over time that I will need when I hit my 60s. And I, you know, I'm putting in, let's say, still that $150, but my insurance is costing me $200. Well, that's coming out of that cash value that I've been building on for years. So that's the basic strategy for life insurance. And, and most people that do a whole life policy or a universal life policy, they do that strictly as, hey, I need a million dollars of insurance. What does it cost me to do this? In the case of a family bank, it is a specially designed insurance policy. So in the case of a family bank, what we are doing is saying the exact opposite of what I say in the other situation. I say, you know what, I've got $10,000 a year extra that you know I'm putting $7,500 into my, my IRA and I have an extra $10,000. Now I could put it to my 401k, I could put it into a taxable investment vehicle, a brokerage account, or I could apply that money, that $10,000 to an insurance policy and grow that wealth without paying taxes. So I pay taxes you know, upfront, it's after tax. Now I put this into an insurance policy. Yes, I'm gonna put a little bit into the policy of the premium reserve, which is gonna pay the premium, but the bulk of that money is going to stay in that cash value account and earn interest. The difference in this strategy is what I'm saying is I want to put $10,000 in and I want to have the minimum amount of insurance that I possibly can get. So instead of having a million dollar policy, I want to get the smallest possible policy. Maybe it's $500,000, maybe it's $250,000, whatever it is for the amount that I want to put in so that I can keep the insurance cost to an absolute minimum. Now, if I need more insurance, I can always buy a term policy on top of this to cover anything in between there. But I am looking for the maximum amount that I can put in with the least amount of insurance cost. Now, that limit that we calculate is what's called the MEC limit, the Modified Endowment Contract Limit. So let's go back in a little bit of history and talk about the MEC. So the MEC started as during the 1980s, there was a lot of brokerage firms on Wall Street that started to use insurance platforms as savings vehicles for rich people. So basically back then, as a rich person, I could come to an insurance company and say, I'm going to give you a million dollars. The insurance company would take that in as a premium and write a million dollar insurance policy against that. So they have no risk at all. 
the insurance policy would grow in value, that that uh, rich person's policy or that person who was putting money into the policy, that would grow over a, you know, however many year period of time. And then they were able to withdraw money out of that policy tax free. So it was a policy, it was something that was used by Wall Street and some very rich people to make lots of money. The government wised up in 1987 and said, uh-uh, we're not doing this anymore. We're not allowing you to do this. So insurance companies, you have to take some risk and rich people, you can't just take you know a million dollars and dump it in. So they created what's called TEFRA. So that is, it was a law that said that you could only put in a maximum amount over a seven year period, seven equal payments, that would max out what a policy would be. And so that's what's called the TEFRA limit. That's what determines how much we can put in per year, the maximum amount. And that maximum amount, if we go over that by $1, that becomes what's called a modified endowment contract. And that means every proceed coming out of that insurance policy is taxable. Uh, So you don't want to do that. There are a couple strategies where we would, but we're not going to do that. So we're going to build this over time. So we've talked about whole life. Universal life is something very similar. It is a vehicle that builds cash value, but there's different types of investments or uh, what are called separate accounts that can be inside of a universal life policy. One of the unique things about a universal life policy is you can have different premiums that you put in over time that can be more or less one of the things you always want to do is you want to keep analyzing that policy because if you put in too little over time, it might not be enough to keep the policy alive later on in life. Now, how do we use this as a family bank? So we could redirect funds into this policy and build assets up over time. Now, when we decide at some point, let's say we decide to pay for our kid's college, we can use this as a college funding vehicle because you can take withdrawals and loans from that cash value account and you could use that as a vehicle to pay for college for your kids. And it's a tax-free vehicle to pay for college. So now, okay, kids are done, college is paid for. You could do what I would do and say, all right, kids, you got free college. We're going to put money back into the family bank now So you're going to, instead of paying the government, you're going to pay the family bank back for the loans we use to pay for your college. All right. Some people might say, well, I don't want to hurt little Johnny. I want them to go off tax, you know, debt free. Okay, fine. That means somebody's going to have to pay back the family bank, which means that's probably you. Or you just don't pay it back, but you have less of a bank to work with. Banks don't make money if you don't keep bringing money back into them. Now we get towards retirement. Now, you know, one of the things I always tell people is you can get loans for college. You can't get loans for retirement. Well, you could take a loan from the family bank and start to use that as a tax-free income source every year out of the family bank that grandma and or that mom and dad can use to fund their retirement. When they die, this is a life insurance policy, and that life insurance policy proceeds whatever's left of the death benefit minus the loans goes to the family at that point. So that's a tax-free transfer of wealth for the family. So if you do this right and you continue 
to you know make sure that that family bank is paid off you know it's a great way for a family to kind of transfer wealth for generations this can be used to fund multiple generations of college and everything else i mean when let's say the you know mom and dad die that money can then be used to continue to fund this it could be used to do this one more time with the you know the next generation of kids could fund their family banks, and then this can continue to be a vehicle that goes on over and over and over over time. It's a wonderful estate planning vehicle as well. All right, let's talk about the last two strategies here. Now, this next strategy is very, very, very similar to the family bank. The difference is it's a little bit more of a sophisticated strategy, and it requires you to have a little bit more assets to begin with. A family bank can be started with relatively meager amounts. It may take a little longer to fund, but it can be built up over time. This strategy is what's called premium finance. I work with a, a company that does this where they've kind of advanced the strategy even different from what I, the way I learned it. But basically what premium finance is, it's, it's very similar to the strategy we talked about before. The difference is let's say somebody has a couple hundred thousand dollars right now. They can say, you know what? I just want to fund as much as I can right off the gate. So I want to fund $100,000 for the first two years into an insurance policy or a combination of insurance policies. Well, what happens is you have cash value in those insurance policies. That cash value is what's considered a tier one asset. And what that means is if a bank is looking at you, they consider cash and they consider cash value of life insurance a what they call a tier one asset, basically a riskless asset for them. And they are more than willing to, to loan money for that. It allows them as a bank to diversify some of their assets. They've been doing this for 150 years or more. Banks have been loaning money towards insurance policies or the the, uh, the cash value of insurance policies. Uh, this was actually a strategy that Walt Disney used to help fund his Walt Disney World project where he couldn't get financing from a bank to build something in the middle of a swamp. He was able to, and he had been saving and building cash value in his life insurance policies, and he was able to get a loan versus those policies so that he could fund the the you know, initial amounts of capital that it required to start developing out Disney World. And of course, we know how that went after that. You know, he, 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 if you build it, they will come. I was there in the first year of Disney World. So, I mean, I, I'm one of those who was in there in the first year and the 50th year, and, and it was really fun, but it wouldn't have been there had, had Walt not had that money. So, what you would do in these cases is, You'd fund that policy. So maybe I take my $200,000 over two years, fund that into the policy. So that's the only contribution I'm going to make towards this policy. So whatever the TEFRA limit is, whatever the death benefit is, that might be, you know, a million, million two, something like that of the death benefit. Now I'm going to go to the insurance insurance company or the, the bank in year three. And I'm going to say, hey, I've got, let's say, $180,000 cash value at this point with a little bit of premium reserve in the policy. 
what are you willing to loan me? Most banks will loan you any, anywhere between 90 and 95% at really, really low rates because they know it's riskless to them and it's a way for them to diversify, diversify their book of loans. So they'll typically loan at really low rates. And the idea behind that is you're going to take those that loan from them and you're going to use that and apply it towards your policy for that next year. And then the same thing, you'd go back the next year, you'd use that as applying it towards your premium and then your premium reserve that's in there and building your cash value. So yes, of course, you've got a loan against that, but the idea is the interest on the loan is very low. You're earning more on the policy over time, that net net, you're building wealth and your contribution is limited to that original $200,000 and that's it. So the longer you do this strategy, the higher and higher the total return of the return on investment is for you. And at some point in the future, and this is really the key to these type of plans is at some point in the future, you're going to flip the switch on and turn this into a tax-free income stream for the rest of your life. Or if you did this early in life and you had kids, you might be able to use this to pay for college. Then after they go to college, mom and dad get a nice vacation income stream coming in every year off of this policy. And you're able to manage risk better. You're able to manage taxes better. And it's really a strategy that can be used well if you're the right kind of person. And not everybody is right for this. You need to find somebody that understands how to do this and make sure that it's right for you. The last vehicle I know this has been long when we're talking about this, but the last vehicle that we'll talk about is the health savings account. Now, this is something that people look at as, well, I got this health savings account through work and I put some money in and then I use it to pay for my you know, out-of-pocket costs of healthcare and everything else. Well, you're missing out on the power of this incredible tax savings vehicle and by just utilizing it in a slightly different way, it can be something that one, pays for healthcare later in life, is very tax advantaged, and you have the ability to really truly grow this into a, another piece of wealth that you wouldn't have thought about. So health savings account under the current laws allows you to save up to $3,850 for an individual, $7,750, so even more than a, a Roth IRA for the family. It is 100% tax deductible. So this is like a, a pre-tax IRA or pre-tax 401k. You get that as a tax deduction up front. The difference here is when it comes out the back and you use it for qualified medical expenses, which is a very wide category of things, it is tax-free. So it is one of the only triple tax-free vehicles. So tax-free on the front end, tax-free wallet is inside, and tax-free on the end if you're using it for qualified medical expenses. Now, what do most people do wrong with this? They put money into a, an HSA account, they just leave it in there, it's earning a, a next to nothing rate of return. But what you can do with HSA accounts, there are many HSA accounts out there that have a savings and investment component. You can convert that balance of your HSA into an investment account and invest in mutual funds, 
invest in ETFs, whatever they allow you to do inside there, you can invest and grow those dollars over time. And the strategy that I use and the strategy I would encourage you to use is I cash flow most of my out-of-pocket healthcare costs. You know, my wife and I don't really have any major health issues. We don't take major prescriptions, anything like that. So, you know, our medical expenses are typically less than $1,000 per year. We just cash flow that out of pocket. We keep the receipts for every single thing we do that would be a qualified medical expense. So Google qualified medical expenses HSA and learn what can be done. Save the receipts for every single thing you do. Scan it with your phone, upload it to a Google Drive or some kind of cloud drive and keep every single one of those things for the rest of your life. And then once you hit retirement age, now you can actually use this to either pay for your medical costs when you leave your employer. You can use that really at any time during that time period to withdraw because you have qualified medical expenses that you had in previous years that you hadn't applied that to. And you can now apply those because you've got the records to keep when it comes to that. So the HSA is another amazing vehicle for this that I don't think very few people, I know I've been to many industry conferences and they've talked about this for years as being this amazing vehicle, but so few people are using it as a tax-free or low tax free, uh, you know, low tax investing strategy. So I hope this show, although it was long, I hope it was helpful for you to learn as much as you could about all these different strategies for tax free and low tax savings. If you're listening to this on any of the podcast channels, if you want to go back and see some of the, the vigils with this, go over to our com- companion YouTube channel. It's, uh, Freedom Day with Jeff Kickle, K-I-K-E-L, and that's in the show notes as well. Go there. You can actually watch these over that with the vigils, so you can kind of reset this in. Wherever you're listening to this or watching it, make sure that you hit that little subscribe button, hit the up button and say thanks, or you know, hit that up button and say, hey, we love you for, uh, for doing this kind of stuff and sharing this information with you. So thanks a lot. I truly appreciate you listening in. I know it was a long show, but I hope this was very helpful for you to start planning out your future when it comes to tax-free investing. So thanks a lot, and we will see you back here the very next time. Thank you for listening to the Freedom Nation podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and all the major channels. Wherever you're listening, please subscribe to the channel and leave a rating and review. If you have friends and family that could benefit from their own Freedom Day, please share with them. Finally, join Freedom Nation by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.